Jim Joyce. <laughs> Eugene Wednesday. <laughs> it is. It is. It is. It is. I see you've done a lot with your background. Yeah. <laughs> I keep I keep switching. It depends on like when the dinner is and are we ordering or are we cooking? And then I'm kind of being shuffled around from my podcast studio, aka kitchen. <laughs> right. Um, which by the way, before we get really cracking. Yep. Um, and maybe while I'm pouring my today is, is cognac. Um, Ooh, if you wanna maybe text our, our guest because he's still not in the waiting room. So we're going to shame him, but that's okay. Um, maybe a couple of things. So first of all, I don't know if you've heard of this. I just heard about it the other day. Um, the All In podcast. Have you heard of this? It's with yeah. Ch Chamath, Jason Calacanes, David Sachs, David Friedberg. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Apparently, you know, so there are, they are our competition, I think, because it's, it's oh, like really? a gang of them just chatting a bunch of different tech stuff and SPACs and oh yeah 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 yeah, yeah. No, I, no I I listened to it that's like, like the famous dudes like the you know pop, yeah you know, yeah, and yeah. And, uh, that, that, that's it so yeah. I I don't know I actually I, I enjoy I really enjoyed listening to it. all all um, you know all things aside it was it was a they good just riff uh, riff. And they, they, they just riff yeah, kind of like you and I and, you know, when the guests join. Um, <laughs> but maybe uh, two other things. Just uh, I don't know if you read Kevin, uh, Kevin O'Leary's um, Health Tech Reads. It's a newsletter. So he just yeah, broke no, down okay. the whole like Oscar Health S1. Okay. And the one thing I took out of it, holy crap, 1.4 billion deficit. And I think last year lost another 400 million. And so the question becomes... What does it really take and you know to to scale and become profitable and then on the right. spac side i also saw um andy andy michkowski i hope i pronounce him right because i think he's from similar country um he tweeted something 58 spacs health spacs specifically are without any targets 58 yeah that's and like it's in the number the capital someone quoted the capital too it's it's off the charts, right? Like looking for um, yeah different yep. targets. So where where would they find a your coach or a health beacon or <laughs> the price is right? <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, not 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 quite there yet. I don't know. We're just uh, actually just talking to Bill Toronto about the the whole SPAC and you know I yeah, I gave it? I gave my my two cents. Well, it's you know it's the right time for the right company and the right assets and you know just yeah. just like with everything else, it depends. I love um, it. So Jeff should be here now, right? I can text you. Just text yes. You. Um, and, you know, maybe why don't you do, uh, as I'm letting Jeff in. Yeah, um, so Jeff, so so we have uh, Jeff Berkowitz, and we'll let him do the proper introduction. But him and I are, like a lot of my pharma colleagues, are um, had come from an organization that no longer exists called Sharing Plow Pharmaceuticals that was taken over by Mark. And here he is, Jeff Berkowitz. Wow. <laughs> Look at you guys. <laughs> How are you doing, sir? Looking, looking slim. I like the beard. <laughs> this is, I, I actually trimmed it for you. I, I had the whole wow. coronavirus Grizzly Adams uh, thing going. Oh, yeah, looking good, looking good. I was just about to go through all of our our uh, our kind of life or tangential journey together, Jeff. I was just I was just going on that road of how we know each other. Get get cracking, <laughs> and then. Well, go for it. It's one of those remarkable things. First off, I, I just want to say you guys must be really scraping the bottom of the barrel if you got to me. Uh, no, we're saving the best for last. Actually, Jim, I just thought about this. This is our final episode of season four. <laughs> right, right, right. I think. I've been binging the whole thing too. So this is like the big. Uh, this is like the heavy hitter. I like. I, I have to say, like, so. So for people that maybe. So we have, we yeah. have Jeff. Berkowitz. So, so I, I, I think, if, you know, I, I think of you in lots of different lights, Jeff, but you, you, for me, you started off as like the most sensible, logical, balanced uh, executive with a legal background. That's what you're known for inside Sharing Plow, inside Sharing Plow. And that seemed to like that kind of like uh, training then got you into major senior roles through Sharing Plow, then onto Merck, and then onto Walgreens, and then onto Optum, and now you've started your own thing, and I think, and I, and then I heard recently, I didn't know this, but you're, 
among other boards that you sit on, you're sitting on an Irish board that we both have a common, uh, uh, but it's so I'll let you introduce yourself properly. I, I was going to say, Jim, okay, Jeff, don't let him write your biography, okay? Yeah. <laughs> do, do, do. Look, I've been called a lot worse, so uh, <laughs> I have lots of uh, dirty little secrets. So some people don't even think of me as a, a lawyer. That's definitely an old time sharing cloud thing to have that uh, um, lawyer. Yeah. So it's... Uh, and I'm also breaking my cardinal rule because I usually don't like to be, you know, pictured next to somebody with really good hair. But you guys, seem you to, have no worries here. So yeah, that's why I like Zoom because I don't know what you guys see, but I get the, like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, no, you're long beyond being an attorney. Like I, you know, we, I, and I've never had a bad conversation with you for from that regard. I don't know if you share the same. <laughs> so, <laughs> share the same of course. so maybe, maybe just before jeff you go through a little bit of like your background for our millions of listeners and viewers uh, a little fact uh, also when jim and i were chatting and he's like oh jeff burkowitz i'm like jeff burkowitz i know jeff burkowitz yes we've crossed paths as i was doing the, the stint at metco and you were doing the walgreens thing and then this summer, basically, Jim kind of reconnected us and we had an awesome Zoom call. You were your hair was in the wind. I remember that. So just anyway, just yeah, a for small our, world. Yes, maybe properly introduce yourself. And I know you've, well beyond being the, the days I knew you 20 years ago. <laughs> yeah, you, you know, Jim, I, it, it's funny. I, I was excited to talk to you guys. I think what you're doing is really cool and, and uh, fun. I, I feel I'm very old, but I feel young doing a podcast. I told my daughter I was doing a podcast and she's like, wow, I don't think she thought was thinking of this, but uh, um, but no, thanks for uh, in, including me. But it, it's funny, all roads lead to sharing cloud. There are some companies that just have this uh, legacy and people have an affinity to, and it, it certainly actually helped me um, throughout my career as well. That just network that formed from uh, sharing cloud and people like, like you, Jim, just, uh, it, it's just amazing to see the amount of success, I call it, if I'm pronouncing the word correct, you know, the sharing cloud diaspora where people just right. sort of went everywhere. Um, right. So it's so it, it's funny, we have a saying here where I'll connect with somebody or network with somebody and people get so sick of me saying, they'll say, how do you know that person? It's like, oh, we work together in <laughs> sharing cloud. And they're like, how, how can it be that everybody- It's was, like the PayPal mafia of pharma, right? <laughs> it was really funny. You could even have Walgreens Boots Alliance with, um, you, you, you know, the, the COO of Walgreens Boots Alliance, who's this very prolific, uh, right. very well-known person. We were at JP Morgan one time and she has a, a, an Italian actually, what does with the shearing plow, you know, like everybody worked at, and I think in that instance, we were meeting with Paul Hudson, uh, for example, you know. Who, oh, awesome. Who yeah, that, yeah, shearing plow guy. There's a lot of, yeah, a lot of, yeah. Sure. Like, but, it, but in terms of, uh, of me, I, you know, I, I can keep it similar. You guys can take it where, wherever you want. But Jim, that, that is my, depending on who I talk to, my dirty little secrets, I'm a lawyer. Sometimes it's that I work at an insurance <laughs> company. It, it depends. But I, I really, I, you, you know, I'm uh, um, from New York, put myself through college and law school and, and was in private practice at uh, a large firm in New York doing healthcare law and got this weird call from Sharon Plow that said, it was interviewing. I don't even think I told my um, wife about it. And I went and interviewed um, with somebody who is now the general counsel of Regeneron, speaking of really successful But I went in to Sharon Powell as Rock Dolivo's lawyer. Um, right. And I still to this day remember his number and everything, because when it came up on your screen, like everything froze and you were, <laughs> you know, very, very concerned. But I, I didn't know anything about being an in-house counsel. And they needed healthcare lawyers to do the managed care contracting and things like that. And those were the days where I, I tell my son, it doesn't happen anymore, where you're offered a job on the spot, like went in, interviewed, and somebody came out and said, when can you start and gave me like an, a, an offer letter. And to your point, Joe, I, I worked in the uh, law department for actually almost four years as a, as a lawyer. So really practiced law for 10 years and had this really crazy contract negotiation with a uh, somebody who I was supporting, a guy named Angelus Papadimitrio, who's still very much a, a mentor of mine. He just had become the CEO of Pirelli Tires, actually. Okay, oh, Again, did he? I haven't, um, seen, I haven't seen Angelus and heard from him. Amazing. <laughs> amazing, and now our kids are gonna go to Northwestern together, which is also uh, crazy. When I started, I didn't even have, you know, barely, yeah. barely had kids, but uh, we were on a contract <laughs> negotiation at Humana. Um, our flight got canceled. Um, and we ended up having dinner together. I hadn't known him that well. I was the lawyer helping just close out on the contract. 
had this fabulous dinner together um, and literally called me into his office the next day with him and, and rock and said, you should be on the business side, um, you know, and, 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 and not be a lawyer. You've got a commercial mindset. And I had never even thought about it. I, I put myself through law school. I'm married to a lawyer. Um, I went to the general counsel at sharing pot. I don't know if you remember Joe Connors and he said, yeah. you will be a failure. Don't go <laughs> over. You're dead to me. It was like the craziest. <laughs> you would never do that. As you would be, be proud that the business side wanted somebody, right? right? And and he said, you know, you're you're dead to me. Don't come back. And I <laughs> went over. This is like right after 9/11. I had this really goofy uh, title, like senior director of managed care operations, which I had no idea. I remember. I think I was running your budgets. I was running yeah. your budget. <laughs> I, I, honestly, I, I still can't believe Jim ran budgets. Like, I don't, I don't know why. I still can't believe it. <laughs> yeah, or, or that somehow I was in charge of a budget. Is even. <laughs> Actually, it was Debbie. It wasn't me. I don't want to offend yeah. Debbie. It was Debbie and Linda. Yeah. And, and there's a great example. You know, again, um, people that I've known for almost 25 years, Debbie Kane still, who, uh, Eugene, uh, Jim's talking about probably one of the foremost minds in government pricing and rebating and contracting, who was my finance support still uh, right. a, a very good friend and also went on to like incredible success now at, at Allergan or what is now um, Abvi, but uh, so I moved over um, and, and ended up working for Rock and, and Angelos. And within two weeks, I, I never looked back. I, I, I realized, never even thought right. about was this a mistake? Was it? And the crazy part about that was is that literally three months later, six months later, all hell broke loose. So here I have no credibility. I move over from being a lawyer to the business side, and literally, Pharmacia sells to Pfizer. Fred Hassan comes in as CEO. We're under a consent degree and a corporate integrity agreement. And literally <laughs> they come and wipe, you know, wipe off the face of the earth. All of the, you know, you could say words like legacy, shearing, plow, people right. in those days. And, and all of a sudden I find myself in Fred Hassan and Carrie's office at saying, uh, you don't know me from a hole in the wall, but, uh, and I'm a lawyer that just moved over to the business side, but I promise you I can do this right. job. And I was interviewing for my own, job basically and i remember being at a meeting in san francisco speaking and i saw my phone ring and it was it was fred or or carrie or somebody i called my wife first said don't spend any money i'm getting fired right now <laughs> and, and they offered me um you know they they offered me my own position imagine right. and i still credit that's because you had a good budget guy yeah <laughs> I actually know. I actually credit the guy who was the VP of market access at Pharmacia because he didn't come to Shearing. Mm. And had he come, I would have been out of a job. But he, he <laughs> right, right, right. So those names you were tossing around there. So there's Rock Dolivu, who was a famous guy. So he went on to be CEO of uh, UCB. Yeah. And and then Pierre Fabre in between or something. Yeah. And then there was. Uh, Carrie Cox, who's like chairman of a kind of a Merck spinoff now. Oh, she, she does that. So she's just become, you know, talk about going full circle, you know, at, at Sharing Plow in 2007, we ended up buying Organon. Um, I, I even spent like six months in us going over, you know, the market access mm -hmm. issues and, and things like that. And then um, I, obviously, you know, Merck bought Sharing Plow and Carrie left. And this is a well over a decade ago, right? This 2007. Now, right. full circle. Merck is divesting sort of the women's health and other components of that portfolio. And Carrie's coming back in as chairman of that organization. But she's incredible. I mean, she's an incredible um, mentor. So she's on the board of Cardinal and Texas right. Instruments. And she was on the board of Celgene right. and had founded a, um, a uh, regeneration uh, business called Humicite. So just has done prolific work since leaving. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yes, yeah, so so this is like... Um flying through the past here now. So go ahead, Eugene. No, I was going to say, because I also know you spent some time at uh, United Health Group, which is a completely, I mean, it's a beast. I just read Brian Dolan's whole report on United Health Group and the 500 boats going and saying, I know, I'm sure it's different now, four years later. No, sorry. Yeah, four, four years later? I don't know. When, when were you at United? Uh, I left in the summer of uh, 2017. So yeah, no, so I left Walgreens. So, so I left um, Shearing. So sh I ended up staying, you know, when I, when I ended up getting the job and one of the things I'm probably the most proud of is I was this legacy guy that Fred and Carrie, Fred Hassan, CEO didn't know. And I ended up becoming, yeah, <laughs> basically, and I ended up becoming a, really a part of their 
team. And, and, uh, and so I ended up running market access globally. And that was really one of the other game changes of that team is that, you know, market access was really just a US centered thing or a country level thing. And we really saw an opportunity to kick it up a couple of notches. This is when the pendulum was swinging in the industry from the power of the pen to the power of the payer. And we went to senior management as a team and said, look, there's a global business here. People are calling us from all over the world saying, how do you speak about the value of mm-hmm. your life? It's like, you know, Nasenex or Asmex or Clarinex, you know, to an audience. And we went to the management and said, you should develop a global organization. I think we really became the first and best in class global um, organization focused on market access. Still probably one of the best jobs I'll, I'll ever have yeah. because you really got this global perspective of, of things. And then obviously fast forward, we had the joint venture with Merck around the cardiovascular franchise. And then I was one of the few people that went over to Merck um, in the acquisition of sharing plow to report to Ken and create the global market access division for the combined organization. But Jeff, I would argue that your legal background helped a shitload with market access. Or I, 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 I don't know. I, yeah, I, I think it's helped. Honestly, I think it's been a good foundation for, you know, for everything that I've done. And, and, and mostly because not not and I wasn't a great legal mind by any stretch of the imagination. I think, you know, at, 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 at Shearing, um, you know, to, to Jim's initial point is I started getting really engaged in the business and trying to figure out the easiest thing as a lawyer is to say no, um, you, right. you know, and, and, and that's the path of least resistance. And now I work with lots of pharma companies and things literally stall and die in the law departments with no reason, no rhyme or reason where I always tried to say, um, that's going to be a challenge, but did you think about doing it this way and trying to find a path forward? And I think that's ultimately what led to the shift to the business side, because I just really ended up wanting to be more accountable for the decisions that I was making. But but more than anything, Eugene, I think it was just the learning how to ask questions and ask those follow-up questions and, and sort of be able to analyze the answers that you're getting in the data and then and then being able to make uh you know decisions. But, but what a buzzy, I mean just like you know what a buzzy atmosphere and a flow and people you know being drawn in at that time when you were moving from you know sharing plow into the you know pharmacia team to the Merck team yeah. to the it was yeah. just flowing. So it was in like the number one issue for all these programs and we can you know go into digital health here. The number one issues is like you know, can you do it? Can you legally, you know, is there, you know, I feel like that's such an essential thing to any pharmaceutical commercial strategy, right? Yeah, yeah. And and of course, sharing was really under the gun, right? Because we had this corporate integrity agreement and consent yeah. people were so um, paralyzed. But those are some of the best friends I made in the industry were the business guys that I was helping, you know, during the, the law right. department. And, and then the, you know, for me, the, the, the real mindset game changer for me was making the shift from Merck to, to Walgreens. People right. thought I was nuts. They were like, you're going to leave Merck. You've been here for 13 years. You're working for Ken. You've built up this division right. market access and you're going to join this Midwestern pharmacy chain um, in, in Chicago where you don't know anybody, you don't know the business. And I, I actually thought I knew everything. This little chain, this little tiny chain. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, you know, but it, but in, in many ways, it really was considered at that time a Midwestern pharmacy, yeah. even though sure. they were a fortune top 30 company and had, and literally five years later when I left, everyone was like, how did you know to join Walgreens when you did? I, I have no idea why it was total, totally. Um, it must've been your legal background. No, <laughs> no, 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 you know, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. No, I had no intention of going, you know, Fred, one of the things that Fred Hassan had, had said to me, um, as a mentor was when you, it, it sounds funny, but he said, when you get a chance to meet with a fortune top 30 CEO, you do it, you go. <laughs> right, I had right. no intention of going to Chicago or going right. to Walgreens. And I, I had a scheduled 30 minute coffee with Greg Watson, who was the CEO of um, Walgreens. And it turned into a literally a two and a half hour, three hour whiteboarding session. Awesome. He called in the CFO, he called in the head of strategy and, and, and one thing led to the other. So in the summer of 2010, um, I joined uh, Walgreens. And, and again, I, I feel like part of, you know, how I lucked into some of these roles where it's sort of this combination of, I've had these two weird things. I've always been either been the outsider looking in. So like I was a, a lawyer who went in-house and then I was the, right 
um, the law department guy who joined the business side. And then I was the shearing plow guy that joined yeah. Merck. And then I was the pharma guy that joined Walgreens. Right. Um, right. And, and, and then also, you know, the other second part of that is maybe this sort of willingness to take calculated risks that other people may not have taken. Like Joe Connors uh, saying, why would you leave the law department? So, <laughs> You're dead to me. You're dead to me. Do you, do you remember, like, I, so I tell, a I tell one story I tell a lot. I tell when, when we were trying to figure out the fair market value stuff, Eugene, inside, you know, like all the regulations were coming at and, and Jeff, you know, one of the top executives, Jeff Berkowitz, was just put on this task force and they needed to, and then, so he assembles the, you know, the greatest minds inside Charing Plow to tackle this really significant challenge. And then they put a junior finance guy, you know, on the committee just to help balance the books. And that was me, right? Like, so the junior finance guy. And they're like a value committee. Wow. That's I, I so, but I, but I remember, I tell a story, I tell a story where all these like powerful people and Eugene, you appreciate this knowing me. So there's a meeting going on and they're all, they're all, constrained right I hear this constrained and like Jim why are you supposed to do that meeting so they're you know they're having a financing problem and you're not at the meeting so someone tells so I get down there so I rock into the meeting 10 minutes late to the the meeting of all these top executives uh -huh. and Jeff's running the committee and he's just like gonna take a long time to get this through uh you know budgets and approvals and everything so you know locked down right now and I and I kind of rock in kind of saying well like how much is the invoice for and you're like 50 grand. I'm like, well, just give it to me. <laughs> just give it to me. <laughs> I, I, I thought, Jim, I thought you'd told a joke or something and that got things moving. <laughs> That's what but I was like, just give me the invoice. But that was the type of action orientation that I think yeah. mattered in those days. You know, somebody <laughs> actually, you know, have the courage to walk into a group of people and, and, and get stuff done. And I actually think it was sort of very much a, a sharing plow um, sort of cultural thing. Right. The entrepreneurial. So take it so like, Oh, sorry, go ahead, Eugene. Yeah, no, I was going to actually jump to because you kind of uh, got into the Walgreens thing. And uh, I know we met when I think I just came over there, you know, Don Sherman, you know, I think even Brian Griffin, you know, many others, the Metco crew. And we sort of crossed paths, I think, when you were traveling back and forth to Europe, right? So uh, even L London, if I'm not mistaken, the yeah. Walgreens Boots Alliance. A, I haven't kept up. Is that still like alive and well? I know it's been 10 years oh, yeah. also. Well, it's but become, I mean, it's become this is it just megalithic, massive organization. So when, when I joined, again, it's it's funny, it must be me, but when, when I joined Walgreens, again, all hell broke loose within like three months. We got, there were three you know, sort of big things that happened. We had this big dust up with Express Scripts, which is, you know, one of the three large pharmacy benefit management right. companies, which is absolutely critical to how mm -hmm. Walgreens would do business because they create right. the networks and the bolus of people like you and me that would go in to get our prescriptions filled. And we had a major contract blow up with them that could have fundamentally changed the value of that very public front page of the Wall Street Journal. I actually remember that. Yeah. And that's actually how we, you know, ultimately had to sort of rethink strategy and start thinking about potential other opportunities for the company, which is how we ended up in dialogue with Alliance Boots. And in the summer of 2012, we ended up taking a 45% Walgreens ended up taking a 45% ownership in Alliance Boots with the right to buy the other 55%. And we were setting up a 50-50 joint venture mm -hmm. to really bring together and, and share with the, with the public and the business community, what would be the value proposition of bringing a US retailer and, yeah, an, and a European retailer, as well as a drug distributor uh, together and there are a whole bunch of other. I, I will absolutely write a book about it. It was fascinating. But you, had Stefan, you had the you had the world famous Stephanos, right? Yeah. Well, well, what I didn't realize, what, what I didn't realize is, you know, when, when we did the deal, all of a sudden we're we're in a conference room in in Walgreens, and we realized as we set up the joint venture as part of the the you know you know setting it up and making sure you got the benefit of the tax situations and things like that. You needed to set up an entity where you had a certain level of executive on the ground in Switzerland. And, and, and again, an opportunity that I thought I had missed completely at having not been able to do it at, at, at sharing. And again, everybody thought I was nuts for joining this Midwestern pharmacy chain in Chicago. And all of a sudden I find myself <laughs> in Switzerland. Switzerland. Nobody ever, ever yeah. believed that. And, and, and people probably wouldn't have, have done it either, especially with. Yeah. Know. And that, I think that's in, when we reconnected because I, we, I, like you were, you, you were responsible, you know, for, you know, obviously that, that JV and that business. And then, um, and I said, why don't you, why don't you come over to Ireland? Cause we were hosting something with 
the prime minister <laughs> actually you know something <laughs> with the prime minister of ireland but the uh, you know you know who we were hosting it with eugene was martin kelly was running a health excel event is that too I, I, I figured i figured that that's where well, it I ended said, up yeah, it, you know it's only it's you know like ireland's a little bit different you can actually meet the prime minister right you know you can actually you know have a conversation and, and, and you came over the word it's Taishak or how, how do you Taishak Taishak correct yeah, yeah I, I have a picture of me you and the Taishak <laughs> in my somewhere because yeah that was Enda Kenny who's a love it was a lovely it was a great uh, so it was another Marty party he tweeted yeah, that the other party, day <laughs> Marty I, party I think Jeff and check me the check the dots that's what you also met Jer Rabbit who's the CEO of Unifar who had yeah. just bought my company. Yeah, you know, you know, so I, I actually moved, I, I moved with my family, uh, you know, to, to Switzerland in, in 2012 and, and really just set up the joint venture between Walgreens and Alliance Foods. And to answer your, your uh, question, Eugene, they eventually over a three year period of time, we bought the other, Walgreens okay. bought the other 55% and consummated the relationship. So I spent three years there. And, and the idea was setting up the global value proposition, speaking back to pharmaceutical organizations about what, Walgreens and Boots represented on a global scale. And we were spending a lot of time in different um, different geographies talking about that meeting with different pharma companies and different potential players in Eugene. That's where I think we were having conversations with Medco. And then Dawn Sherman went over to Teva and we had conversations with her at Teva because we became the biggest buyer of generic drugs yep. um, and, and sort of changed the way generics were procured on a global basis. That was one of the big um, pieces of the Walgreens Boots Alliance development wow. joint joint venture, and so yeah, and then and then obviously we were meeting with lots of wholesalers. So I had met Jer Rebet at um, Unifar uh, through that, and we just kept in touch over um, right. the, the years. And then yeah, that came full circle as as well. So there's so many areas. I I, I like I love your perspective on um, you know. I mean, we could talk to you a light about all that. It seems like you, you're kind of like, a, it's a kind of Forrest Gump moments, you know, history, right? Like I'm, uh, the, um, but, but, you know, you've seen everything. It's like, okay, there's a big deal being signed and, and Jeff is there <laughs> either running the deal, obviously not in the Forrest Gump sense, but the, um, it, 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 what, like what's like, when you look at inter like internationalization right now, when you look at like, like what's your take? Like, I always think that your perspective on, uh, implementing how pharmaceutical companies are run, you know, market to market to market and globally. Like, yeah. what's your takeaway in terms of how they're run in these different jurisdictions? Maybe we start there. Yeah, I, uh, that that's a, a really good question. I, I probably have a, a little bit more of a specific lens, especially around the pricing and reimbursement and market access mm -hmm. stuff. But I think, right. you know, for me, you know, especially having, and I'm, I'm so jealous of you guys living in Europe. I, I got to do it for three years, but I wish it was a lot. Come on better. over. Um, and it, it, but the joint venture shut down and it was it was uh, um, time I, to go. I, I, I think real endpoints needs an office somewhere in Europe. I, I, mean. I absolutely uh, uh, agree. And, and Eugene, really <laughs> your adventure in uh, Barcelona and, and watch you Instagram all over the place. So, <laughs> sitting in New Jersey. Of, uh, of snow. But I, I think for me, you know, having having operated globally, which has been really important to me, it's the stuff that I've really liked, um, you, you know, bringing all of those different cultures together. I think what for me, one of the real benchmarks there is actually trying to simplify and focus on the commonalities versus the, the differences between the cultures. I, and, and this is really, I learned through the global market access piece in particular, because when you're talking about the value of a pharmaceutical product, one of the things that I learned is that if you're talking to Hira in South Korea or the Australian drug authorities or Humana in Louisville, Kentucky or a, a, a government in Argentina, 60, 70, 80% of the value proposition of a therapeutic in a disease state is going to be the same. I, I think in, in pharma, it, it was a real battle because every country likes to complicate, oh, the US, you guys have totally screwed that up. It's so complicated. It's so fragmented. You've got all these issues right. in, in Europe. You, you know, he's got, well, you don't understand the Czech Republic because, the, you know, of this, this and this. And I would always say, you know, there are those local level nuances, but, you know, you know the, the commonalities are more apparent and abundant than, than the nuances. So let's focus on what is the, the broader global value proposition. That's how, as I, as I talk about setting up the global market access organization, that was really the focus. And I remember you, you may, I don't know if you remember 
Bruno Cigini or Francesco Granada that ran Europe and Eastern Europe for sharing cloud. But when, when we created the Global Market Access Registry, they were pissed. They were like, nobody's going to tell me what to do in my country, what price right. to, to have. And then, then we really just started showing the value of doing that, the value of creating a value proposition that then can be pulled through at the country level. Right. Um, and, and now Bruno's, you know, one of my closest friends, you know, and when he thought I would never be successful. I think the other, the other, but isn't it always, you know, I mean, if you look at, you know, us, the federal versus state, I mean, it's the global versus local, right? You don't know our yeah. jurisdiction, you don't know the regulations. And yeah. to your point, you got to chip away, um, you know, showing value, right? One yeah, way or the exactly. other. And, and you, exactly. You have to, I, I think Eugene, that you said it perfectly, chip, chip away and, and show value and, and roll up your sleeves and learn and not come in like a bulldozer. I think ultimately that's how I ended up on the board of Lundbeck, for example, is that, you know, here's a company that's, you know, Danish in origin, but global, a, a very important percentage of their sales is coming from the U.S. They didn't have a U.S. For, you know, somebody that knew the US on the board, yeah. but they, they yeah. didn't want somebody that would just come in and steamroll and say, you don't understand. They wanted somebody that had a global yeah. perspective yeah. that could yeah. help articulate what was going on, but in a way that everybody could really un understand. And, and then j just one more point on yours. One of the things that I struggle with with global pharma is that, you know, th this country level, um, and I see it all the time because I, I see all these pharma companies now, which is really interesting. It's just the amount of resources that large pharma has that are stepping all over each other still to this day that are yep. completely siloed and, and where one hand doesn't know what the other's doing, yet they're so protective of what they're doing. So you have a global market access organization, then a Czech Republic market access organization, and U.S. market access organization. Nobody wants to either share information, or then you have an oncology group that thinks they make the decision. So there's still a lot of inefficiency. But you know, I, I would say a lot of this, I I feel like stems uh, from you know the senior leadership and how the budgets are allocated because there's always swings constantly, right? The budgets go to global and allocated. No, no, no. Let's distribute the budgets to the local, and it's bottoms up. And it's just, it flows and therefore the protectionism kicks in on where the budgets are. I, yeah. I mean, this is my two cents on it. I, I, I just feel like follow the money, really. So, so I want to throw two questions at you. So like, so there's this awesome series that uh, uh, I think it's, what's it called? Digital, Digital Therapeutics? What's the name of your series, Eugene? Your, your podcast series. So he's doing another uh, podcast. Digital Health Today with Eugene Borovich, a Digital <laughs> Therapeutics edition. <laughs> Excellent. But, so Eugene's unpacking digital therapeutics. So, so kind of right off the bat, like, so when I'm thinking about digital therapeutics and as a company that, you know, where, you know, maybe part of our portfolio could be considered a therapeutic and others kind of kind of core infrastructure for injectable medications like Health Beacon. But like the, so it, it do you think what, what's the reimbursement landscape? Like just take a kind of a global lens on these digital therapeutics. Like, what do you think this, um, you know, what do you, how do you think that's going to play out? And are you watching it? Are like you're saying, you know, how do you make that case for reimbursement for those types of products? Yeah. Yeah. First, first you know, congratulations on, on everything with Health Beacon. You've done a, a phenomenal job with, with that company and, and everything that you've done. And I watched that closely as well. It's, it's very cool. And he's still managing the budget. No, 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 not up until recently. Right. That's been, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <Is that> right? <laughs> um, but you know, you know, uh, so there, the digital therapeutics question is is a is a great one. So I, I'm a believer, uh, and I and there are naysayers. I, I think it's early days. I, I've been um, providing advice to one of the digital therapeutics uh, companies, and 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 you guys are probably even closer to the bleeding edge and cutting edge than than I am on this stuff. But I've got to believe that there is a way to integrate traditional therapeutics and RX products with um, digital, uh, whether it's app-based, especially the way that, you, you know, people behave today with their, with their phones and, and surrounding themselves with digital surround sound. I, I've got to believe that there is a way to integrate the two to create a better outcome together. I think the question is, you, you know, some of the questions that, that I see are, does that mean that it needs to be solely consumer facing, which some people believe? I get a little challenged with that piece of it because 
I think sometimes it gets boxed into more of the behavioral health type issues like, um, uh, you know, calm or headspace or smoking cessation and things like that. And I think to tie it to your question on, on a reimbursement pathway, I think whether it's, you know, governments and or, you know, large commercial payers in the U.S., it's going to be harder to wrap their minds around just digital for digital sake and consumer focused. And I think that also undermines the value and the price. I saw this at United Health Group where the behavioral health business is really hard because a lot of things get, mm -hmm. get pushed into that and it becomes sort of a employer product and you can't really value each individual piece. So my, my bias right now in the early stages is that where digital therapeutics really has a, a, an opportunity and a role to play where they can also achieve robust reimbursement pathways is, is actually being earnest and disciplined about the regulatory pathway, not unlike what you see in pharma where payers then can hang their hats on a regulatory framework that they are used to. And, and, and people disagree with me, by the way. So, and, and, and Eugene, maybe you do as well. I, I, but, but that's sort of where I, I'm hoping that they can both come together. I think the challenge there is, can you create a digital platform that is either agnostic to products and, and therapeutic classes, or do you have to partner with an individual pharma company, which then gets into all the issues around a pharma company only cares about their product and their class yep. versus the broader issues around digital therapeutics. So I'm, I'm going to honestly save my thoughts for the last episode that I'm going to do with Brian Dolan after, <laughs> after the, you know, the limited series expires and my thoughts uh, on it. But um, I guess, you know, I mean, there's a number of ways you can cut it, right? Because if we put it very simplistically, the DTX it's can be a standalone and i still think that the fda route and you know you can get it prescribed but it also is a huge benefit if you go otc right um even if you have the fda approval so i i don't think one um versus the other the second piece and this is where it to me it really connects with the pharma is this like let's call it a digital companion for lack of a better any other word it's the drug plus right and that's where I actually think pharma is struggling the most because those type of personalities, knowledge, you know, one from a tech perspective. And I've actually heard anecdotes, including in the market access perspective to say, hey, if we sit in front of this regulatory body negotiating and we say we're going to bring in a device or a companion. Well, but they might say that our drug molecule does not work well enough by itself. And so some of those questions start like, you know, the skepticism around it. So that's where I'd love to get some two cents on. I, that's the middle right. one. Right. Yeah. Also, I'm like to wondering too, just like building on Eugene's like, like the global, like even I, I remember listening to you, we, we were talking, Jeff, when we caught up the other day and you talked about how patient services are, are kind of very uncreative and kind of, we'll say underdeveloped in the U S you know, and, um, and whereas in Europe, there might be a lot of reliance on organizations to, to develop patient services, but you never see, like, I think when you, if you go to a Boston biotech company, you know, or kind of not a big global pharma, but maybe a good sized company, they don't think international until, and, and when they think international, it's UK or Germany, maybe, or maybe if there's some history. So, so there's, and it makes sense, like the biggest markets are the US or Germany or maybe Japan or something, right? So so everything else becomes distributor or they don't even pursue it. So, you, so it's the big global pharmaceutical companies that have created this global distribution of medicines. Like it's these like top 20 or so companies that have created this consistency. You can get the same Sanofi medication and the same Novartis or Pfizer medication in a pretty similar way to your point. But the digital therapeutics companies, are they going to go attack like 50 markets, you know, at the same time, uh, you know, or are we going to have this hodgepodge? Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I think you both raise good uh, points, Eugene, particularly interesting on this idea of will my product be considered efficacious if it needs a digital therapeutic to support it and, and whether or not we can get more specific on a, on a country level basis. Uh, um, 
Jim. I, you know, I actually think that in some ways the digital therapeutic companies are, are behaving, you know, in the patterns yep. that we see on the pharma side. So I don't see them thinking about sort of personalizing things on a country by country basis. That, that being said, there are, you know, digital therapeutic companies that are, you know, popping up at a, at a country level as well. But I, I think they do have this broader vision. I guess I would say this, um, Eugene, particularly to your point is that I do, I do think there are tailwinds continued tailwinds. I know we've talked about compliance and adherence and outcomes mm -hmm. of, of products, you know, for two decades now, and it really hasn't come to fruition, but particularly as even in the U.S. here, where you're starting to get this vertical and horizontal integration of healthcare players like insurance companies and pharmacy benefit managers, they will start being able to better drive holistic care, which should lead to a better outcome at a potential lower cost. And these types of measurement uh, capabilities that a digital therapeutic might bring to bear should help drive some of that. And in fact, not be the enemy of a company being concerned mm -hmm. about how their perception of their efficacy will be, but should be the, the friend of the pharma company by showing that the product actually does work and allow for a platform for a pharma company to be able to, with comfort, go at risk for the potential outcome of their, of their product. So so question for you. I just got a text from Don Sherman and she had, that's so weird. Sorry. <laughs> I, I didn't that, uh, no, it just, I, she didn't know we're talking. So uh, just craziness. Um, but uh, I, I, you know, I, you know, for, for me, the, the whole, the, the package piece is one thing, right? Um, and I, again, I just sort of loop it back. Like if you now have an asset, um, and by the way, Jim, I think to your point, some of the companies will go. I mean, if I look at like Akili, they're for the most part are basically saying, you know, mm. hey, pharma, we're building out our own distribution, all of that. You know, you got right. the funding, you got Click, right? Uh, David, they're partnering up with pharma with their distribution and look at the BI deal it looks exactly like a biotech or biopharma deal. I mean, so right. I think we'll have variety just like with everything else. I hate saying it, it depends, but it does. No, and I think people aren't sure what, what the right model is uh, there. And, and I think right now payers, to, to your original point, Jim, I think payers just are unsure right now. So they're not sure what way. Right. So they're, they're sort of protecting uh, their turf and trying to figure it out. So like Express Scripts here um, in the United States, one of the three large pharmacy benefit managers has created a digital formulary. I think they're not quite sure what to do with it, but it allows them to sort of get ahead of the, the issue. I think the, the other important piece that I didn't want to gloss over, Jim, that you mentioned is just the whole patient services piece. I think one of the challenges that the pharma industry has today is because we've had this significant price pressure everywhere, including in, in the U.S., pharma has gone after ever more rare and orphan diseases and oncology right. products where they think there is limited competition and more uh, and less price pressure. And so we've We've gone after you know more esoteric and smaller diseases and populations where we think we can charge whatever whatever we want, and then one of the implications of that is what patient services do you have to wrap around them? They're complex therapies, they have complex distribution, and so there is this whole world that's you know growing you know everywhere around wraparound services, patient services. And I do think that is going to be an important part yeah, of. You know, are you guys are you guys familiar with the uh, Amalgam Rx, Chris, uh, Chris Bergstrom, right? Um, I mean, if you look at their website, I mean, they're DTX, but they also have patient support. And I've been saying this for years. Like to me, the novel DTX companies can quote unquote replace some of the patient support programs all around. I think Jim, you and I have spoken about this, and that consolidation. Hey, listen, you know what? There's a lot of SPACs that can just merge a bunch of this. It's all good, no, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I think this too, like the, the idea, like, you know, what type of patient services do you need if you have, you know, if you have like a, you know, a health coach and a, you know, engaging companion app and, you know, some type of monitoring device or, you know, when you have all that data, so you don't need the, you know, the call center, um, you know, kind of nurse coming to your home support, uh, you know, perhaps useful, but not, you know, not the only kind of show in town now that digital therapeutic could Agreed. replace patient services and the rare disease stuff. I mean, that is just, 
like it's only it, it seems like like a lot of the work we're getting asked to do is in rare disease and as it seems like there's a lot of like independent units i don't know are you seeing that like independent initiatives to support those therapeutic areas yeah i, I think that's also one of the challenges it, it's sort of like the digital therapeutics uh, question it's this question of you know does a platform uh, act as, as an agnostic player to support all pharma companies or does everything need to be individually catered to a particular product, which is definitely the pharmaceutical industry's perspective because they don't want anybody to support a right. um, competitor. So I, I, I think that's the challenge. I, I think there's, and, and people might differ. I, I think there will be a day of reckoning around all of these rare and orphan disease uh, products. I, you, you know, everybody talks about Zolgensma, Orlux Turner, and the $2 million therapies. And I, and, and the fact that right now they're being reimbursed throughout systems. I, I think that's fine when there are one or two or three or four, but as there are 30, 40, 50, 60, it, it's, it's going to be very much harder uh, to have payers be able to support that. The other thing is I think competition is coming. So right now, you know, even in oncology right now, we're seeing payers in the U.S. do unprecedented things where they would never touch oncology and never remove a product from their coverage or formulary. They're feeling more and more comfortable. So as you see this race to PD-1s with different, uh, you know, specific uh, indications in cancer, as there's more competition, payers will feel more comfortable making choices and, and carving out, um, you know, component uh, so, so I'm going to be the, the timekeeper. We're sort of getting to the top of the hour and I actually sort of looping that back, but also, you know, I see the logo behind you, real endpoints. Um, I, I actually, to be honest, I haven't even checked out what, what is it that you do, but I know obviously with pharma and do you get asked a lot of these questions that we were discussing, kind of maybe give a little pitch. Yeah, I'm glad background worked uh, uh yeah, <laughs> yeah no, it was no, perfect you know again after you know after you know two decades or two and a half decades of, of of doing this stuff and having been you know in large pharma retail pharmacy specialty and then and then we didn't talk about it, but then spent time at united health group um on the on the payer side really one of my big takeaways is you know the still the massive disconnects that exist within uh the the verticals of of healthcare and in particularly getting acute with pharma, right? And in, in the US in particular, you have insurance companies and pharmacy benefit managers and specialty pharmacies all starting to cooperate and vertically integrate. But pharma is still way over here, still to, to the points that we've made, still just doing their R&D, not having conversations with the rest of the ecosystem and hoping that they can put out a, a rare and orphan product that they can get a high price for. And so one of the, really the, my sole focus coming out of that is to try to help biotech companies and pharmaceutical companies really re-engage and plug back into the system to fill some of these gaps, whether that's figuring out how to be more innovative in the way you contract, whether it's figuring out, Jim, to the questions you asked on specialty distribution, how do you go to market and distribute a product in a different way? How do you capture the value of a product either through a pricing strategy or a payer engagement um, strategy and uh, it, you, it, you'd be shocked at still how many pharma companies really don't understand or have intellectualized what's going on in the external market around them. It's, it, it, it seems remarkable to have this conversation in 2021. It feels very similar <laughs> to the conversations we were having, you know, in the in the early mid 2000s at, at Sharing Plow with fair market value and those kinds of things. The, the conversation at the C-suites of pharma just hasn't change that much. And it's particularly acute in biotech where you've got a scientific founder that thinks, man, my product's incredible. Don't call my baby ugly. Everybody's going to pay for it. And then they get hit over the head with a shovel when they have, you know, have this you know, failed commercial launch. Are you saying, I don't know if I, and I don't want to disclose, but are you you're thinking about, you, so you have the services and all this expert advice from your company, but also like a technology layer to make that more efficient or? Yeah. So, so one of the big, what, you know, obviously one of the big areas, I think it also touches what, what, you know, we talked about, which is, I also believe there are a lot of um, tailwinds on this idea that pharma is going to have to plug into that consolidating ecosystem, both in, in globally and in the U.S. and, and be willing to for the value that their products create and the outcomes. And especially when you're talking about, you know, these high price products, say if it doesn't work, we're not going to charge you for it. And so it's this whole area of value-based 
agreements or contracting. So we've developed a really cool um, platform company called the Real Endpoints Marketplace, where we're trying to fix some of those gaps um, and some of those misunderstandings between payer and biotech by really going after those products and companies that can really um, win in a value-based contracting construct and plug them into payers that actually want to do that. So those can come, you know, those entities can come together and, and agree on what are what an outcome might look and then look like. And then we do all the adjudication in, in between. You know, cooperation like is the new competition, right? <laughs> I think, you know, that that's how, how I see it. Eugene, and again, I still worry about pharma because it's disconnected. The rest of the ecosystem is cooperating now, again, for, for good or for bad, because, and, and there's, it also creates very limited incentive for disruption, right? If you're an insurance company that owns a pharmacy benefit manager, and especially you don't want to change the system anymore because you're all integrated, you own all parts of it. And so pharma is still, you know, on the outside. It's, it seems, Jeff, like um, as I was looking, we we you and I did a podcast ten years ago when Merck and Sharing Blau, like before podcasts were a thing, right? And um, and I, I just looked at it online, and you look, I think you look ten years younger. You look ten years younger. You seem to have more energy. Uh, you know, so you've done, and you had a lot of energy. I wasn't saying you weren't energetic. <laughs> you had a lot of energy then, but you seem to. So it's, you seem to really enjoying it. And what are you doing to keep yourself through this kind of? Are you isolating? Are you out and about? What are you doing? Yeah, no, great. It, it, it's been really interesting, right? And, and you know, one of my main loves is, is global travel. You know, I was one of these guys like you guys that do 250,000 miles plus a, a year. So I, I have not been on a plane since last March. <laughs> my last meetings were in uh, Santa Fe, I think, in February of last year. But, uh, you, you know, the what, what's been fascinating is the, the business has been great. We just continue to grow the access to executives. I think when you, when you peeled it all back, and you were just in this cycle of running around, sometimes for the sake of running around, like in January, I go to JP Morgan, yep. and then I go to PCMA, and then I go here, and then I've got this board meeting. When yeah. you peel it all back, I mean, you, you know, yesterday I spoke to the president of a large pharma company who, you know, and you're getting this time, these hours that you never would get with executives. Now, now you can spend it on Clubhouse. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so it you, you know from that perspective, it it's been uh, good, and I, I obviously consider you know ourselves re really lucky to be able to have a business that you could sustain yep. through all this when so many others are struggling. And then, then really, the the real gift was uh, um, you know being able to spend this time with my family. Of you know, I haven't been a very good father or husband over the past you know 25 years and so having everybody home and and being able to say it, it's it's just you know precious uh time i don't think they would say that at all i mean they just look at me like when is this guy nah, i'm but, sure they appreciate it <laughs> come awesome. on so we're um i'm the party pooper here <clears throat> yeah, we did our time but thanks jeff that was awesome the, yeah, you got me energized this is this is largely i think you, we say it every week this is largely a self-help group for me and you <laughs> <laughs> I love it. You guys have had great people. You, you ask. It, it's always interesting to see how people are, and and even how you guys are um, getting through this. I think it. Just somebody was telling me yesterday. You know, just sharing, even in these Zoom calls, sharing how everybody's handled it and how it's impacted people. Mm -hmm. as, as I also think peeled back like a layer of formality right. um, that that people had between one another. I, I find it fascinating to look at people's backgrounds my, my daughter gets so mad when i like pin somebody on a, a zoom just to see their bookshelves and and things that are <laughs> that are um on. but uh, yeah i think it's 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 in some ways brought uh people that that being said i'm i'm very much yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's my my background my background <laughs> Love awesome. that. but but would, would much rather be seeing you guys in person over Agreed. Topics, Agreed. Uh, barcelona or guinness in uh it will come, Jeff. It will come. Okay, very good. I'm sure. Good. Well, thank you so much, well Jeff. listen, thank you so much for making the time. And for our viewers and listeners, hit that subscribe button <clears throat> because we do want to surpass uh, Jason Calacanis, at least, um, and the team. And, uh, you know, that's it. I want to get my Mason rating report after this. Exactly. <laughs>